You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician and editor-in-chief of Maine, Maine Home Design, Old Port, Ageless, and Moxie Magazines. Love, Maine Radio show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com, grownupgirl.com, where you can get personalized guidance and encouragement for growing a simple yet vibrant life through free advice, workshops, and mentoring programs with local experts. You deserve to shine. Go to grownupgirl.com now to learn about our available programs and classes designed just for you in the Portland area. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port, 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the works of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormaine.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where everybody is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. Jennifer Hutchins became the executive director of the Maine Association of Nonprofits in July of 2016, where she leads a member network of more than 900 charitable nonprofits and 150 private partners. Prior to joining the Maine Association of Nonprofits, she led the City of Portland's efforts to strengthen the creative economy as executive director of Creative Portland. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. So you've actually had um, a foot in all kinds of different sectors. You've got some public policy experience. You've got some creative sector experience. Now you're doing nonprofits. What was your original thinking on how your life would unfold when you were, say, a senior in high school? Did it look like this? Uh, Well, that's a great question. I was just talking to some young people the other day about my path. Uh, I actually, uh, when I first graduated from high school, I wanted to go into international banking. Uh, This was uh, back in the day when Melanie Griffith was uh, defining what it looked like to be a working girl. And so I pictured myself with the big hair and the big shoulder pads and the uh, high heels uh, going down the the boulevards of Paris and London. Um, And uh, that's what I thought I wanted to do. I went to college and that's where I discovered uh, more deeply what my real values were and where I still had high aspirations for doing a lot of international travel and getting to know a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of cultures. I realized that it wasn't in the private sector that I really wanted to have impact. And so um, I I have spent time internationally and I've spent time in some of our larger cities um, in the United States. Ultimately, however, I determined that living in a place like Maine provides an opportunity to have a greater impact in my community. You originally came to Maine um, as a child of Navy parents. Right. And yeah. you moved here because I believe it was your father that was stationed at the Naval Air Base at the time? Yeah, my father um, is a retired Navy pilot and had spent uh, some time stationed at Brunswick Naval Air Station, and they really liked it. And so when he got out of the military, he was still young enough to fly commercially. Um, they chose to move to Maine from Southern California. So that was quite a change for my teenage older brothers and myself and um, just getting ready to go into middle school. Uh, we really, I remember moving here in the dead of winter from Southern California and coming home from school and saying to my mom, there 
wearing boots with chains on the bottom. <laughs> the famous L.L. Bean boot, which I still have that pair of boots and I'm quite proud of today <laughs> because I'm not wearing any of the fancy new ones. Mine are old school. Um, but it. But when I first moved here as a, a young kid, um, I, I really questioned the um, style choice of those L.L. Bean boots. <laughs> But I quickly grew to to love um, living in Brunswick, and I eventually graduated from high school in Brunswick, Maine. So it's interesting that you've had um, you've had the chance to live in other places. You obviously could you could still be in D.C. You could go back to Southern California. You could go somewhere international and be Melanie Griffith. <laughs> I mean, presumably. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but you still are here. What's kept you here? Um, well, f- first and foremost, family. Um, when I f- when I moved back to um, Portland, um, <clears throat> having lived abroad and um, lived in bigger cities, uh, I um, f- at first I didn't want to stay. I um, this was twenty years ago when not uh, Portland wasn't quite as hot. Um, I was in my twenties, and um, everybody it seemed like everybody lived out west. And there were the big cities out west that were really drawing people at that time. And um, so for the first couple of years, I really resisted staying in Maine for too long. Um, And then I had a really, I I was taking a a photography class at Maine College of Art. And I was having a conversation with the instructor. And she said to me, uh, you know, Jen, if you go to New York or Boston and you try to be a photographer, you're going to be one in a sea of people. She said, if you stay here, you actually might have a shot at making a niche for yourself. Now, I ended up choosing to get my master's degree at the University of Southern Maine and staying here. And so my niche ended up being policy and community development, um, public policy and community development. But the same remained, it was the same case. Um, I would meet with professors and they would say, that's a really great question. Why don't we find a time when we can meet with one of the governor's policy advisors? Or why don't you give this CEO a call? And it was amazing how the access to decision makers and people who wanted to make a difference was just one degree or two degrees of separation. Whereas I knew that if I moved back to Washington, D.C., or I started a new career in New York or elsewhere, it would just be so much more complicated to really feel like I could connect with people who were making a difference. What was it about the creative economy that uh, kept you working as the executive director of Creative Portland for so long? My early career had started um, in advocacy for arts and culture. Um, I uh, worked for an organization in Washington, D.C. called People for the American Way, which was a First Amendment organization. And I did research into challenges to creative expression. Um, It was founded by the TV producer Norman Lear, who was concerned about the impact that the religious right was having on the media waves. And so he started his own watchdog organization that was making sure, just just tracking how um, how that movement was impacting the media. And so I became very familiar with um, the National Endowment for the Arts and the back then uh, um, challenges to the National Endowment f- for the Arts around artistic expression. Um, I also come from a long line of musicians and actors, and so the arts and culture, just from my family's perspective, were very important to me. 
And then I also had spent, after college, spent two years in Europe and saw how the Europeans embed arts and culture into their daily lives. It's not, it's not considered something like entertainment that you do when you have an extra few dollars. It's embedded in everything that they do. And so I became very passionate about advocating for the arts. And so I built on that interest in public policy, uh, my interest in arts and culture with my public policy skills. And, and that's really, and then the, the creative economy work really came out of some of those attacks to artistic expression in the early 90s um, as a way for people to understand the importance of arts and culture in our lives beyond just the entertainment value. And so I really became very interested in how the creative economy, um, economic development work really was integrating and developing a whole new case for why we need arts and culture in our communities. What did you learn? What were some of the um, lessons? Why do we need arts and culture in our communities? Well, I firmly believe that Portland wouldn't be Portland without all of those arts and cultural institutions. I think that, um, you know, when you go out now and you ask people about Portland, certainly they they list um, restaurants as right at the top of the list. And, and some include um, restaurants as part of the creative economy at this point, for sure. Um, but even deeper than that, I really believe that people um, people respond to the ethos, the the zeitgeist of a community, and I um, I firmly believe that the the history of Portland has been shaped so much by. Um, cultural institutions that have been here for decades. And then more recently, um, some of our institutions that are about 30 years old, Portland Stage Company, um, and some of these other institutions, Maine College of Art and the museum, of course, have been here longer than that. But then in the 70s, there was another wave of cultural institutions. And I, I think it, you, no one can deny that it's what really makes a true impact of what the community is. I think the other thing that um, I learned that was really interesting in some of the research that we did is sometimes you think of the creative economy as only impacting urban areas. And what was interesting to learn was to go to other more remote parts of Maine and realize that there is, there is an activity and a vibrancy to a community that that is magnetized by creative activity. And uh, again, even in some of our smaller communities where you might um, it might be harder to find a cluster of activity, if you will. There's really demonstrated value in, in people who um, want to be there um, to, and who are creative people just doing great things. And then as a result, economic activity c comes with that. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the Stone Mountain Arts Center out in Brownfield. Yes. Which, I, I mean, that's a perfect example of something that grew out of Carol Noonan's love of music and kind of seems like it's plopped down in the middle of nowhere, but it has been so um, accepted and loved by not only the local uh, community, but also the greater community. Yeah, that's an excellent example. Another really favorite example of mine is the Stonington Opera House. And um, <clears throat> what I really love about the Stonington Opera House and I think Stone Mountain's very similar is that you know if you if you initially go to Stonington you see a very very traditional um, fishing village really um, not at all like um, the developed more a more developed community like Booth Bay Harbor or Camden but um, very much a still a fishing village a working village 
Um, and so you might at first think that plunking a, or renovating an old um, community center and opera house into a, a, a an arts center that does Shakespeare and plays and movies and community events that they might have a hard time integrating and and really to the contrary uh, the people who founded that organization and who maintain it have really done an exceptional job and I feel like I know a little bit of what I'm talking about because I married a man whose family um, is from Deer Isle Stonington um, one of the weeds the Weeds and the Eatons were the um, were the early European settlers of of Deer Isle, and um, and so my husband's family are still fishermen in that community, and uh, so when we visit uh, Stonington and we talk with um, people who have been living there for many years, families who've been living there for decades, they only speak very highly of the Opera House, and they refer to going to events there, um, and so. You know, again, I think Stonington wouldn't look the way it is without the Opera House, and 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 they've done a phenomenal job, in my opinion, of integrating themselves with people who've been there longer than they have. Music is a particular interest of yours, and you have an affiliation with MAM. That's right, Maine Academy of Modern Music. Yeah, um, it is. I'm on the board, and my daughter Sadie is a musician there. Uh, what a fantastic organization! My daughter Sadie is um, shy and introverted, um, and she. But she, we have my parents' old piano, and she started piano and play, and singing a little bit um, when she was young. And um, over time, we, she became familiar with Maine Academy of Modern Music and said she wanted to be in a band, much to our surprise, and uh, because of her introversion and her shyness. Well, suffice it to say that um, my, much to our surprise, Sadie um, manages to get up on stage and sing in front of 300 people um, at their annual Girls Rock concert. And it's just so inspiring to see a kid who wouldn't dare speak a word in class, get up and sing on her own uh, an Amy Winehouse song or a Gina Spector song and just really thrive in that environment. And so I'm so grateful for that experience for her um, because otherwise I, I don't really know what I'm sure she would figure out how to come out of her shell, but it was so helpful to, for me as a parent to see her have a really constructive venue for expressing herself and, and coming out of her shell in a way that made sense for her. I'm struck by the fact that in order to bring the arts to the main community and really the larger community, that we actually have to have nonprofits supporting them because as you've mentioned we aren't like other parts of the world where the arts are really integrated into governmental funding for example so is this one of the ways that you became interested in nonprofits or tell me that story yeah sure so um if I if I had had the talent of being a singer, I would have done that first. Um, <laughs> however, um, I have realized that um, it is best for me to keep my singing as an avocation. And so, um, if I, in terms of my profession, if I can if I can be the aficionado and I can be the advocates for um, artists and and people who are doing good work in the community, um, I'm happy to recognize where my true skills lie. Um, <clears throat> 
I uh, so the way I look about at the nonprofit sector is that it's really it's w- the way the uh, the American system has set itself up for taking care of the work that either the non the public or the private sectors have either opted not to do or can't do themselves. And so um, what happens literally for nonprofits is that a group of community people get together and they say this work has to happen in our community. We are passionate about having these values, these activities, whatever mission it is that they've come to, we want this in our community. And they've determined that it won't either be funded through the public system or it won't be funded through the private system. And um, as you said, and as I was mentioning about being in other parts of the world, um, in the United States, the art, arts and cultures tends not to be valued to the extent in either the public or the private sector as much as you see in other parts of the world. As a result, um, it is uh, a lot of the arts and cultural activity does happen supported through the nonprofit sector. We have about um, of our 900 members, um, and then we also know this is similar to the entire population of nonprofits, roughly 16 to 20% are arts and cultural institutions. And um, I I would venture to guess that most of the cultural activities that people um, participate in Are there's a there's a nonprofit behind them that is is working hard to expand access to communities uh, to make sure that everybody has an opportunity um, to to do that and it certainly is the nonprofits that are the ones that are are taking care of that work. What is the advantage of having an association of nonprofits? So. The, our association um, is uh, one of the primary activities that we do is provide um, information and education to um, nonprofit staff and board members and volunteers. And so we really want people to see us as their, uh, the place they go when they have a question. Um, and, and our members are, um, and do, call us on a daily basis with various questions that pop up. Um, and we also uh, want them to be able to go onto our website and, and get what, what we call the best practices of being a nonprofit. Um, the old adage is, is that you've seen one process, you've seen one nonprofit. There are so many different kinds, different sizes, different missions. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, there are some standard um, ways that um, in terms of ethics and values, in terms of legal responsibilities, in terms of fiscal responsibility, checks, check a checklist of things you need to take care of. And um, <clears throat> we try to be that resource for everyone. The, so that's the education side of making sure nonprofits have the information they need to be efficient and effective. Um, <clears throat> but we also do quite a bit of work in advocacy. And, and that's around making sure that the voice of the nonprofit sector is at the table. As we've already talked about, nonprofits are filling a very important role in the success of our main communities. And to that end, um, nonprofits really need to be at the decision-making table when a community is figuring out the steps that it wants to take to rectify issues or take advantage of opportunities. Um, And so uh, we feel responsible for making sure that people 
uh, outside the nonprofit sector understand who nonprofits are, understand the impact that they're making, and um, facilitate um, the opportunities for nonprofits to work more closely with their community partners to support main nonprofits. You've been doing this particular job for about a year and a half, and that's enough time to know what you know and know what you'd like to know. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've learned that you um, are surprised by? And what are some of the things that you'd like to keep trying to figure out? That's a great question. Um, I think in the first year and a half in this job, I think what I've learned um, the most is really mostly about me. Um, and and that sounds really self-centered, but but um, one of the things that we try to emphasize at the Maine Association of Nonprofits is the need for Maine to have leaders who are prepared to uh, work collaboratively, um, transparently, with integrity, um, in a collective fashion that moves Maine forward. And so I, I have um, made it I've had the opportunity because our association places so much emphasis on providing nonprofit leaders with the um, awareness, the self-awareness of what they bring to the table, the type of leadership skills and attributes that they bring to the table. Um, I have learned a lot about my own leadership style and and the things that I think are um, the qualities and the attributes that I think I can add to um, add to our community, add to the state. Um, and this has been really helpful to, for me. It's, it's a little bit like you've got to understand yourself before you can really start to understand other people. And so, and, and so the second part of your question is what more do you want to learn? I'm really excited about following this path a little bit. Um, you may have heard recently that the Maine Association of Nonprofits has adopted a new program from the organization Lift 360, an organiz- uh, a program called Emerging Leaders. And it's for younger people, younger professionals who are interested in um, supporting nonprofits to go through a program by which they learn how to serve on a nonprofit board. And they will learn a little bit about themselves as leaders and how they can contribute. And um, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Lyft did a great job of getting that program started and has run it successfully for several years. We're excited now about building on that foundation and um, potentially moving it to other parts of the state. Um, because I And so, as I said, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about um, the qualities of leadership that I think are gonna be really important to Maine's future. And I'm excited about the prospect of um, working with with people out there in the community and um, and 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 applying those applying those newfound skills and attributes to the issues of impacting Maine. It's interesting that you would talk about younger people being on boards because a lot of times, and I maybe this is a complete misperception on my part, but. Um, there is the idea that once you retire, you join a board or several boards. So it's, I always think of older people who have a lot of experience and have been doing things for a while and they're coming in and they're going to add their valuable knowledge and connections to a board. But what you're talking about is completely opposite. It's sort of a fresh perspective and um, a different approach perhaps. Why is that important? 
The nonprofit community um, nationally for a while now has been talking about the need to diversify the perspectives on on boards. And that's um, diverse, diverse perspectives from a lot of different angles, whether it's gender diversity or ethnic diversity or age diversity or um, profession diversity. Um, many nonprofits are um, contemplating the idea that they should really have clients who benefit from their services, make sure their representation is on the board. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of research out there, and this this was in the creative economy as well, that, that um, makes it very clear that um, having, um, having a variety of, of thinkers and a diverse um, viewpoints um, leads to more innovation, leads to more creativity. Um, you know, the, some of the major corporations these days are talking about how um, the, the more diverse the team is, the, the better outcomes. So I think there's definitely an awareness out there. Um, there's been lots of research. The trick is how to actually make that happen. And there has been some recent research um, that we know about nationally. One is called Race to Lead um, that was, is talking about um, how um, people in, um, from communities of color are having a hard time getting into nonprofit leadership positions at nonprofit organizations and realizing that a lot of the resistance is coming from an implicit bias on the part of the, the stereotypical board member as you're identifying. And so the challenge for us now is, is not in the, is it, is it important? I think there's a lot of evidence that suggests that it is very important and beneficial. The question is, how do we make that happen? And um, if, I go, if we go back to age diversity for a minute, some of that, um, is just a practical um, who has the time to serve on a board. As you said, uh, the first group that you mentioned were retirees. And they are some of the ones that, that are the most effective on boards just because they're the ones who have the time to show up. Um, what what uh, people are thinking about is, as a result of that, we need to change the way we think we need to be flexible in the way boards govern themselves, in the way boards receive that type of perspective. Um, it may be that the 30-something um, the who's just starting a family and has a full-time job and commitments in and outside of work, they may not be able to go to a board meeting once a month for three hours. Um, they may have to be able to contribute in alternative ways. And so that's another reason why I'm excited about this new program is um, by bringing that program into the main association of nonprofits, we can really start to chip away at the how do we get these new perspectives on these various boards. It's, it's interesting that you have, um, you sort of have a, a foot in both camps. You have the right brain, left brain thing going on. You've got the, the creative, and then you've got the more perhaps linear. Um, and I know that this has been a whole journey for yourself. If you were able to talk to yourself at the age of 17 or 18 when you thought you were going to be Melanie Griffith with the shoulder pads <laughs> and the good hair and mm -hmm. the streets of Paris and London and all that sort of thing, yeah. what would you say? Um, stop worrying. <laughs> um, sometimes I uh, think about 
um, all the time that I spent worrying about what if I had done this or should I have done this or um, did I miss this opportunity and was I good enough and I'll never be good enough and I just literally think about the time the literal time that I spent (laughs) worrying um, and had I been able to take that time back and just pour it into whatever interested me that day um, and and instead of instead of judging what I wasn't doing, but to focus on what I was doing and to find the things that truly interested me, the things that made that the things that made, woke me up, um, and and shifted the amount of time I was investing. I I really would love to reinvest my worry time. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I, I do seem to now that I approach my my 50s I feel like maybe maybe my worry time is finally starting to abate but um, I did a lot of hand-wringing in my 20s <laughs> I don't think you're alone in this <laughs> so, don't, so uh, at least I'm in your group anyway <laughs> so it's good to hear you say that I've been speaking with Jennifer Hutchins who became the executive director of the Maine Association of Nonprofits in July 2016 We're happy to have you doing the work you're doing and really appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks. It's been really fun. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristelle, Portland Art Gallery, Art Collector Maine, and by grownupgirl.com. Our editorial producer is Kate Gardner. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Andrea King, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.